Hey, this is Bert Sperling with Best Places, and we're early July right now when we're recording this, and we're halfway through the year, and we're almost done with the pandemic, thank gosh. And um, I thought it would be a great time to do sort of a mid-year review. How did we get here? Where are we going? So I've got some of the Best Places team, the smartest guys I know, to give us an idea of their thoughts on some of the key categories. Now we're gonna run down these categories and these are the same categories you're gonna find on bestplaces.net that help make up and determine the best places to live. So we're gonna run down those. We'll give a quick take because we got a lot to get through, but there's a lot of information. And you know, most of all, give us your feedback. What do you think is going on in your place that's really important? And what are your thoughts on what we have to say? So I'm looking forward to it, but here we go. So today we've got Nick Arnold with us. Hey guys, there he uh, is. Once, once again, I'm the, the chief geospatial analyst over at Best Places, helping develop all these wonderful indices you guys use and developing maps that you guys can use on the site as well. Great, okay, thanks Nick. And we have Bertrand Sperling. Thanks guys, I'm Bertrand Sperling, the COO, and I do PR a lot. I help with the studies, I do research, I do writing, I do general um, uh, direction for the company. <laughs> so. In a team this small, we all of us do everything. We don't have an HR person <laughs> or anything like that. We're a small team, we pivot quickly and we get things done. So it's a lot of fun uh, working here and, and doing these great things. Anyway, so what we're gonna start off with is we're gonna look at the crime category and we're gonna run down these. Let me just tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at crime, economy, cost of living, health, the demographics. Uh, let me see what else. We're gonna look at cities, This uh, cities versus suburbs versus rural climate, education, recreation, arts and culture, maybe even get into politics and religion. But uh, let's go ahead and start off with crime. Crime's going up. And um, what do we have to say about that, guys? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, it's no secret to anybody at this point that we saw sharp increases in crime uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, you can find a, a number of different causes for that. Um, but I would say if I'm charged with making a sort of prediction as to what might happen next. I think a lot of the crime we experienced was probably very related to the state of affairs regarding uh, the pandemic. And now that we're starting to get beyond that, I would expect to some degree for crime rates to slack off a little bit. You know, people are probably still uh, feeling hardships given the situation, but, um, you know, hardship and inequality tends to lend itself to higher crime rates and you know, inequality in general kind of does that. So, you know, it's a matter of uh, if we're past the pandemic, perhaps we can get past some of these really sharp increases in crime and get back to something that looks a little more normal that people are used to seeing and are more comfortable with, frankly. Hmm. Okay. So you think it's going to get better. How about you, Bertrand? Well, I certainly hope it'll get better. Um, I think that if the pan uh, the pandemic is waning, then I think that there's a reasonable uh, uh, expectation that it will it will ta it will taper off as people get back to normal life, and maybe policing um, can pick up again. I know that a lot of police departments have adjusted what their uh, what their routes are and, and the way that they're policing, basically. And and even in even in Portland, there's some. Um, 
like the DA, like here in Portland, like has been told not to prosecute a lot of crimes. So um, like, and then there's been, I think we've had like a 600% increase in shootings. Um, Portland is a relatively quiet, um, Portland is a relatively quiet place for gun violence. But in the past year, it's been ridiculous. Just over the, um, just a week ago or so, there were 80 shots fired in a Northeast Portland neighborhood, which makes it sound more like Chicago, Miami, or LA. Uh, very new for us here in Portland uh, with the gun violence. Almost every other day I've been reading over the past year that there's been um, some shootings and 80 shots, 40 shots fired is not um, unusual these days. So I, I think everyone's going kind of crazy with the pandemic and uh, that's, and they're, they're angry. They're frustrated. They're locked in. They're out of work. They're um, just frustrated a lot. And so I think there's, there's a lot of uh, crime uptick there. So it, in other words, related to the pandemic. So to Nick's point about it, maybe tapering off now that we're seeing our way out of the pandemic, then I, I'm hoping crime will um, get back to normal. One thing I'd like to look at is what, what the crime was before uh, the pandemic and just compare that like right before maybe 2019 numbers and just confirm that um that that we can ex what 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 we can maybe expect to get back to what would be a normal baseline yeah okay well i've got sort of uh an alternative viewpoint i have taken a look at those numbers from 2019 and actually crime started to go up significantly in 2019 before the pandemic Criminologists, people who study this at a very high level, and they, they, they don't know why. They don't know why the crime should be going up right now. They don't know why it was starting to go up in 2019. Um, what has happened is crime went down drastically around, oh, 1990, 19, maybe 80, 1980s was like the peak. Uh, and then it started to go down. It started to go down and it went way, way down until it hit maybe the lowest point in crimes per capita uh, in like 2018. And actually, criminologists tried to explain why. And they never came up with a good solution for that. Uh, and now it's starting to go up again and it's just accelerating. And you've seen experts like us and in the news uh, they're talking about the pandemic is basically accelerating all these trends that we've been seeing. And this is another one that's it's it's accelerating and magnifying. So, yeah, I think after the pandemic is is done and it's in the rearview mirror, it might moderate, but it might stay high. And I don't exactly know why. Uh, and nobody knows. And by the way, this is not just the United States. It's worldwide. And um I don't know, something in our culture and our society and our worldwide culture shifting or, or whatever, but these things go up and they go down and people can't figure out why. So I don't know. I don't know. I hope things are going to get better. I hope it's pandemic related, but it started right. to go up beforehand and right. uh, I don't know. Yeah, so. I think that's I think that's important with our statistical analysis is trying to remember what was happening. It's really hard for me personally and um, because thinking, trying to recall pre-pandemic times is hard. Like what was going on exactly in the world before the pandemic started? Because it's kind of taken up all of our consciousness. Um, but I was just listening to an NPR piece uh, the other day about um, drug overdoses. 
And drug overdoses, I think, were up 30% um, or even more, but at least 30% um, uh, during the pandemic time. And then the person who was who they had on to interview, she she mentioned that actually, you know, we were having a really big drug problem with drug overdoses and stuff like that even before the pandemic started. So, like you said, Bert, there's an accelerant factor here with the pandemic, but it's also good to look at where we were before this whole thing started. And, you know, is this actually new because of the pandemic or is it just accelerated due to, like you said, Bert? Yeah. Well, nobody knows, but... Uh... I'm, if I had one thing to say, I, I would say it's it's not totally related to the pandemic or not mostly related to it, and it might continue. But that's crime. Let's go on to economy, and we've got to go ahead and go through these faster if we're going to go ahead and uh, get them all in in a timely manner. So economy, what's the economy going to do, folks? Bertrand, why don't you hit that, and then we'll, let's hear from Nick. Uh, the economy right now, you have um, – uh, I guess this goes in the cost of living, but that's all tied together. You have sure. the moratoriums on rent evictions um, starting in September. I think there's going to be a, a interconnectedness uh, effect happening with that, as you see. And it, that depends on, on what the government does to issue some grants to um, realtors or, or, or uh, real estate owners who are renting these apartments out. Um, but anyway, we're that that's going to hit things. Um, a lot of um, unemployment benefits are being uh, taken away right now, or at least cut down. The PU, the Pandemic uh, Unemployment Assistance Program (PUA) is is going away soon, which is your bonus, which a lot of people have point. You know, a lot of some people have said, oh, that encourages people not to go back to work, which where you get like $300 or $600 extra a week on top of your regular unemployment. So that's ending. So the economy, a lot of these programs are ending. I think we might see some some reckoning happening this fall uh, when school starts up again and the moratorium on evictions disappears and the um, – reality of unemployment benefits changing changes. Okay. So I think we're, we might be in for some rough waters when those things hit. But Okay. How about you, Nick? You know, what's really interesting, Bertrand, is that you're talking about a portion of the economy that's going to be affected by these programs, but it is probably just as important to recognize that this is a very a relatively small portion of the entire economic picture. But what's interesting about that is that those same uh, you know, industries that are experiencing these troubles, getting people to go back to work because of benefits and whatever, they're also seeing simultaneous wage growth, um, actually really big wage growth in, in industries like food service and retail because those same people are not as willing to go back. But it's is it a is it a is it a problem of too many unemployment benefits or are people realizing that those jobs were kind of crappy to begin with and maybe there's an opportunity for change? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of those things, but what we're seeing generally is that there is some level of recovery. Of course, we're still adding jobs. Uh, sometimes it's disappointing when reports come out. You know, expectations are not always met as far as adding the number of jobs that we want as a an economy overall, but. You know, it's it's a staggered type of economic recovery. It's going to just be one of these two steps forward, one steps back for the the whole picture, probably for a couple of years. To be honest, as as we move beyond this whole, 
you know, pandemic situation and, and get back to work, so to speak. That, that's a process that's going to take probably a, a few years to really, truly get past. But yeah, hey, we're Nick. recovering. Hey, Nick, I got a question for you. Stock market, 25 words or less, up, down, what, and when? Um, oh, gosh, uh, good question. I'm going to say down probably within the next 12 months. Uh, not to some ridiculous degree. I, I, you know, we're still kind of in some sort of a recovering bullish type market. You know, we always ask that question before, right? Is it, yeah. is it going to last? And, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. And hard, hard to, it's hard to believe that it's going to last. I mean, when it's gotten this crazy, it's hard to believe that it can continue. I mean, there's a, such a thing as, as we say, reversion to the mean. In other words, things got to get back to normal. <laughs> That's the English talk for reversion to the mean. And um, I got to say, I, I got to agree with you. I think it's we're going to have a correction, and it's probably going to be not a pretty one. It's going to be hard, uh, but it's just got to happen. Uh, I mean, things are way overpriced right now, and everybody. I think a lot of smart people are saying things have got to correct, but nobody knows when. So, Bertram, what do you think? Up or down? I, I just want to, I mean, I keep hearing this stuff about a correction and, and I, um, I, you know, this exact time last year, people were saying the exact same story was that we're, we're in for a huge correction. Now, la last year was crazy. Uh, NASDAQ was up 67%. The overall stock market was up 63%. The S&P was up 65%. I think that, I think we're already in our bear market right now, just based on what I'm seeing. I know we're hitting highs right now in the S&P and several under indices. Um, but I, compared to last year, it's not nearly as crazy as it was last year. So I think we're in our bear market right now. I think the bear market, or I think what, what I call the bear market, I think it's going to sit the way it is right now for the rest of the year, personally. Past yeah. then, I don't know. All I know is that people have been saying there's going to be a huge correction for a year or two, and we keep setting records. So I don't know. I think yeah. I think a lot of that's just because you know it's being propped up somewhat artificially to get through the pandemic by the Fed, right? You know, we're just awaiting for interest rates to rise so that there can be an intentional correction in the housing market. Uh, but you know, it that's the kind of thing that will probably be a big catalyst for some kind of correction is when the Fed stops propping things up a little bit. You know, uh, interest rates will go up eventually, so. There will be a correction. I, I, yeah. I mean, it's not unheard of that the Fed makes that happen and we have a recession for a period of time. It's happened historically a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the joke is um, economists have correctly predicted 12 of the last five recessions. <laughs> 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 oh, yes. A little economics humor. Uh, but Nick, you just went ahead and brought up housing. Uh, what's your thought about housing? I'm not happy about it, to be honest with you. Um, Reda, I mean, I, anybody who's listened to this podcast before knows I'm a bit of a hothead when it comes to talking about housing. But we had another report come out very recently that suggests that not a single state of, per person can live in with a minimum wage job and afford a, essentially a reasonable two-bedroom apartment. Wow. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like that's something that everybody has kind of known, but now that we're hearing it loud and proud, so to speak. It's like, it's just kind of confirming what I thought, but yeah. it hurts more when you, when you hear it for real the first time, you know? So 
it's not just a problem with housing, uh, you know, being so super expensive uh, as far as a buyer is concerned, but renters are having trouble. And now that there's less demand on, um, you know, purchasing houses, it, it adjusts the demand on the rental market itself. So things are just totally in flux and a little bit out of control. And um, I honestly don't know what the answer is, but I'm I'm not happy about I'm not happy about the state of housing. I've got to be honest. It's no, it's not looking it's great terrible. for anybody. No. Yeah. I think, a lot of, I think a lot of people agree with you, Nick. Um, I, I, I saw that same report you did, Nick, with the people not being able to afford a, a two bedroom. And we can't we can't be the richest country in the world. We can't be the world leader as far as a sociopolitical in a sociopolitical sense and a political sense and have that be the situation that that looks terrible we we look i think we look like laughing stocks to any other country that that runs i mean we do look like laughing stocks to some of the nordic countries and even like maybe germany or just some of the countries that have their stuff together where this is how we treat i mean i always think as a, i always think a society or a culture should be judged on how they treat their their lowest or their you know the how they treat the poor that they treat the needy or the, you know, things like that. So if you have a work, if you have a working person who has a job and uh, works full time, our min and our minimum wage should get, be able to get you a two bedroom apartment. And uh, you know, the minimum wage what is it seven fifteen hasn't gone up in what, 10 years or more yeah. 2009. That's ridiculous. Yep. So if you, if you look at the, if you look at the cost of living or any other graph, um, compared to and how much that's gone up over that time period compared to how much the minimum wage has gone up d- during the period. Well, the minimum wage is stagnant, but everything else has gone up as far as costs and everything like that. So that's ridiculous. Yeah, totally. It, it's just uh, created- it is interesting to note that uh, Norway is crazy expensive, uh, has been for last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Uh, but I think that it's uh, everyone is getting paid more, uh, so there's a stability within within that. You go to visit Norway, though, and uh, you end up paying, I don't know, $25 for a beer <laughs> or something like that, yeah. uh, $15, $10 for a cup of coffee. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, but, yeah, uh, my thought about housing is it's got to, uh, it, again, it's a correction. Things are way out of balance. Things are, you know, we're way over our skis, if you want to use that analogy, and things have to correct. I think they're going to correct in six months, um, and it will not be pretty. Oh, here's what, here's a prediction I have. You know, the uh, moratorium on uh, rental um, amounts is going to be ending. The government will bail out. They're going to say they're bailing out the people, the renters, but really what they're doing is they're bailing out the landlords uh, because by paying money to rent relief, they're really saying, because otherwise the people that would get stuck would be these huge investment corporations or or a lot of times smaller landlords. And they'll say, the government will say, we'll save you, but really it's another way to funnel money to uh, people that already have it. Yeah, it's just creating a situation where, I mean, it's exacerbating a situation where we have a world made of haves and have nots. At least it feels like that to me because I'm not in the have department as far as housing goes. And I'm trying to get there, and it's it's a big corner to turn. So this dichotomy is growing between people who have and people who do not. 
and it gets more difficult for people who don't not don't have it. But then the people in charge, the people who do have it, set the rules and make things work the way they are. I'm myself included. If I was a homeowner right now, I sure as hell am not going to want these prices to drop. You know, I don't want it now, but I won't want it then. So yeah, anybody yeah. who's a homeowner, there's a vested interest in not really making a big change there because we all, if we are the owner, want that, you know, so it's, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, uh, just uh, I want to do a mini rant here about uh, tax laws and that sort of stuff. But basically, um, there are incredible laws that benefit the ultra wealthy. And I mean, talking really wealthy, I mean, not just people that have five or $10 million or $50 million. Sometimes people that have $100 million, $50 million easily. Uh, and then, then you start getting into taking advantage of these laws. And they'll say, hey, it's all legal. We're not doing anything. We're just taking advantage of the rules, of the laws. Yeah, the laws you bought and paid for with lobbyists and that you have pushed through over a number of years. So basically, you're controlling the game and then say, hey, we're, we're winning the game, but we can't be blamed just because we're following the rules. So anyway, it's, it's a sad situation we're in, and I think we need to um, uh, bring some balance back into it. And, uh, um, you know, we, we shouldn't be sort of have a, a ruling class the way we do. Anyway, end of, end of the rant. Um, let's talk about, uh, well, let's see, we talked a little about cost of living. How about uh, health care? Uh, do you <laughs> things... Hey, we're in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> we had the um, uh, the fires going on. Pandemic didn't hit us too bad, uh, but um, you know we had uh, lots of uh, problems and, and health problems. So, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, number one, I guess the pandemic, and number two, other sort of health issues. Uh, Nick, you mentioned opioids, or Burton, you mentioned opioids, I think. Uh, and other deaths of despair, as they call them. So, Alberto, what do you think? Uh, well, as far as those deaths of despair, yeah, I mean, with, I think the scariest thing is is fentanyl, and then the um, the 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 other thing, the other drug that's um, like fentanyl, but get, you know how strong fentanyl is. Uh, a, a pinch can kill you. Well, there's something called carfentanil, which is 10 or 100 times stronger. So then it's literally you're talking about a grain or two can kill you, which is crazy. And fentanyl and carfentanil are used in other, like heroin and other illicit drugs. So you think you're getting like heroin, which maybe you've, you've learned your tolerance to. Um, oh, I have. Um, Right. And so you, <laughs> you think you know what you're doing and then you shoot up, you, you use some fentanyl or carfentanil. Um, and then you're dead. So that was something that was happening before. Um, um, as far as the, as far as COVID, I think we're fighting a lot of anti-vaccine rhetoric. It unfortunately, it's looking like a. We were going to talk about politics, but fortunately, we are seeing, I believe, um, some of the red states. I believe there might be a. Uh, a divide or a discrepancy or a, a gulf forming between um, political. Uh, delineations on, on, on vaccine hesitancy or error or um, kind of mistrust of the vaccine. And um, as long as there's that, as long as we're fighting um, 
I'm trying, I'm just struggling to remember some of the actual facts. I don't want to put out miscorrect facts, but I think it's something like 38% in, in some of the southern states and who are vaccinated, you know, so it's well below 50%. And then in some places like Oregon, I think we're 67%. So we're getting up to that level where people say that that's a level. I think people say 70 75% is a level of vaccination is where you start to get to a level where you can actually eradicate the disease. If we're still under 50% in a lot of places, I think it's going to be tough. We're seeing the Delta variant go around, and then they're saying that there's something like the Lambda variant or something else. Um, the Delta variant seems intense. Um, and then, you know, uh, yes, uh, starting tomorrow, uh, L.A. is reinstituting its mask mandate, even from vaccinated individuals. Wow. So that's a level of seriousness that's coming out in play in real time That's gives pause. Um, and, you know, Bert, you and I went to L.A. on a, on a flight and uh, about a month ago, and it felt so good. We still wore our masks in public and everything, but... There was a sense that maybe we could be, um, you know, just being able to fly again and and everything. It felt so good to feel like we were pulling out of it. But I, I fear that we may not. I fear that we don't want to be too. Um, I, I don't think we're out of it yet, basically. So. Yeah, it was amazing to be able to fly the the majesty, the luxury of air travel, the standing in line, the TSA, <laughs> taking off the shoes. I loved I it. That. It was amazing. I know you never thought you you never thought you'd miss that. Yeah, but now now it felt it felt amazing. <laughs> I, I soon got over it and got cranky again. So yeah, the, ha the, ha the half ounce of peanuts and pretzels that they get, and it's like, can I get what? Yeah, that was more, amazing. One more bag of those? <laughs> no, no, you can't. <laughs> we're, we're on a. So Nick, what do you think about the health issues? I mean, to your point, Bertrand. Um, you know, COVID has obviously been the single biggest definer of, of health uh, outcomes, I should say, in the last year. I mentioned it before in a previous podcast, but uh, we did see a, a pretty significant drop in overall life expectancy, which is never anything anybody wants to see. We all wanted to see it rise, but we I think we lost officially a little over a year, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. um, of life expectancy in the last year. So, I mean, Vaccine hesitancy is a thing, but um, and it's a huge obstacle. I'm, I'm sure as far as getting beyond, you know, uh, COVID. But at the same time, I do kind of expect, you know, life expectancy to kind of rebound. I wouldn't expect any anything totally um, ridiculous as far as growth in that. But maybe we can get back to previous to pandemic types of life expectancy levels. I would expect that at the very least. So. But, you know, again, that the hesitancy of vaccine is, is a very real situation. Um, and as Bert mentioned, you know, fires are a real situation. There's a lot of things happening. Uh, we'll get to climate a little bit down the road. That's affecting plenty of people and, you know, has a pretty significant toll that's not talked about much on health outcomes in, in the form of air quality. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of factors here. But I, I expect in general, you know, life expectancy to get a little better with any luck. We'll get back to pre-pandemic levels and we'll you know, re regain some semblance of normalcy as far as our in general life expectancy. Yeah. Uh, hey, Nick, that's a great point with life expectancy. And just to circle back again, it was uh, life expectancy was actually dropping uh, in um, 
2019, it started to tick down. And most interestingly, mm-hmm. it was for uh, basically older white males. And uh, I think a lot of it was due to the death deaths of despair that we talk about uh, of the uh, when they when they say that it's um, let's see uh, cirrhosis of liver alcoholism uh, drug overdoses and suicides and uh, so for older white guys like me <laughs> um it had uh it had been going up or i mean the mm. you know deaths have been going up life expectancy going down and that's remarkable i think that was maybe the first time that we had ever seen that in like i don't know 100 years yeah i think it so. was i think it was around the 20s or 30s was the last time we've lost uh life expectancy uh year over year yeah so anyway that's uh so What's going to, or are we going to get healthier, uh, Bertrand, 10 words or less? Are we going to get healthier or are we going to devolve more? I think we will get healthier. Okay. I think we'll fight through it. I think that's my 10 words, but yeah, I think we will. (laughs) I think some will get healthier. Some will not get healthier. They will get sicker. And I think there is a difference you know, there's, there will be a gap that grows just like everything we talk about, you know, those who are willing to partake in a lot of the healthcare and for those who are not. So there will be a gulf. Some will and some won't. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a safe answer, but I think it's Very. probably a good answer. <laughs> um, safe, myself, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm alarmed how healthcare has gotten politicized. I mean, everything has gotten politicized and used as a weapon. And there are some states where before the pandemic, they turned down Medicare. Um, I forget how, I forget exactly what it was, but it was extra Medicare benefits. They turned it down from the federal government and saying, we don't want extra care. We don't want to have uh, uh, lower premiums. We don't want to have more care. Uh, we don't have an influx of federal funds because we don't believe in the federal government. And we don't believe that the federal government should be paying for this. We'll take care of it ourselves. And that only makes their own people suffer more. So it shouldn't be a political football. There are a lot of issues, women's issues uh, that are a political football. It shouldn't be that way. Uh, We just need people to live longer and happier lives. Um, So that's another rant (laughs) that I went into. (laughs) But I hopefully we can, you know, if we can get through this, if we can sort of come together more as a nation, and work towards solving things instead of um, making this uh, making it political. Right, uh, making making every issue political. Yeah, I think there's a theme that, that's 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 arising from both you guys, and I agree with that. Is you're talking about gulfs, widening gulfs. There's widening gulfs in a lot of these uh, topics that we've been talking about. So. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a totally. sounds like a weak like, sounds like a weak position. Like, oh, what, why don't we just all get along? I know, you know, yeah. and I, but I don't. Th- I, I um, there is a gulf. It, there's gonna have to, I, there's gonna have to be a reckoning. We're gonna have to take care of these people that, like Nick says, we're gonna have to take care of the have-nots. I'm a have in some. Um, and the other thing that's interesting, I think, just to point out. In some categories, I'm a have. In some categories, I'm a have not. So there's different boxes that you might check. Like me and Nick aren't homeowners. Um, Dad, you are a homeowner. 
Uh, that's great. Um, so me and Nick have certain things that other people don't. We have college educations. We have a good job. And there are other things that we don't have. And other people might tick other boxes. But those gulfs do – those gulfs are, aren't, are, are definitely there. And I think that they're, they are widening. Um, yeah, totally. Totally. And every, everybody's aware of it because of social media. You know, it's – I mean, the whole idea is to, what, promote yourself and how great you are and how your life is perfect on all of these platforms. And then it just creates not even real legitimate inequality. It's just this, this like, uh, idea that you have to do better than people or you've got to – you know, it's just – it creates such a competitive environment and it shouldn't probably be that way. It's just totally unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, That's a whole about, other topic uh, is like social media good for us, which I don't, it's probably outside the scope of, uh, but I have a lot of opinions about that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it's outside probably the scope even of what we do at, at best places. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone's probably thought about it um, to some extent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to give everybody a treat. I'm going to take off my glasses for a while and then you can <laughs> see why I, mm-hmm. I use them to cover my face and I uh, have a beard. I've learned to, the more I cover things up, the better I look. So uh, <laughs> your beard looks really good, Dad. You really got that squared off. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I just went ahead and before really? the thing, I just. Zzzz. I can never get mine like quite as like tight, like squared off as you get it. So takes years of experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was hanging out. I, I was hanging out with Benjamin Bratt. You know, he's an actor. I, you probably know, sure. Know Benjamin yeah, Bratt Benjamin is. Bratt. He's, but one day we were we were hanging out for a little bit at my work, and his beard looked amazing. It was really just it looked looked kind of like Dad's, but it was a little longer. And I was like, "How do you get your beard like that?" And he was like, "Multiple mirrors." So he sets up multiple mirrors so he can get all the <laughs> angles. And I was like, "Ah, that makes sense." Have you ever seen those mirrors that like there's like oh, a, yeah. they're like tripartite and then they kind mm-hmm. of curve around and then so you can like get all of it? Yeah. So. Right. So, uh, but just for our listeners, uh, Bertrand spent a number of years in LA working at, uh, you were uh, in a production company. You worked for the largest talent agency uh, as uh, one of the uh, assistants to the, the top guy there. And you hung out with all sorts of actors like uh, Charlize Theron and um, um, uh, Dustin Hoffman and uh uh, the Slumdog Millionaire uh, director and uh, all sorts of guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, lots of stories, lots of fun yeah, stories. Lots of stories. Yeah. Bust those out every once in a while. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna give everybody. Okay, now <laughs> we get back to business here. Okay. Um, so uh, cities, sub- suburbs, rural. Is this going to keep happening? People are m- are moving away from the cities. You know what's funny? In the articles, they say everybody's moving away from the cities, and then it's like everybody's moving back to the cities. Uh-huh. Well, I kind of think that it's not everybody doing one thing or the other. You know, either it's a very black or white kind of thing for the media to go ahead and say. I guess it's it's better than saying, eh, maybe some people are, some people aren't. Who knows? So uh, it's it's better for them. But what do you guys think, uh, Nick? What do you think about um, uh, this whole city, suburb, rural divide, or or movement? I say between places. Yeah, I mean it was is very certainly very real in the last year as everybody figured out their city apartments were not going to be great to live in and exist in 
for your entire life. Um, but, you know, as, as cities have opened up, as you mentioned, there's, you know, anecdotes that say everybody's going back to the city and going back to their lives. And um, again, you know, it's, it's somewhere in the middle of the truth. Um, people are going back to the cities, some people, but I've also heard that a lot of millennials are finally uh, starting to make that transition over to home ownership and that a lot of that stuff is occurring in the suburbs. Um, of course, they have uh, people haven't often moved very far from their you know big city. If you're in Portland, you're going to move to a Beaverton perhaps or a Hillsborough to find a cheaper house. If you're a, a me or a Bertrand perhaps, um, but you know even rural places are seeing some level of growth. I, I would like to see some data, and I'm looking forward to some more information coming out. But I'd like to see if if rural places are booming a little bit everywhere, or if it's mostly rural places that are near your population centers, you know, within an hour or something like that. Those, I would expect those places to be seeing some growth, but, you know, maybe if you're in the middle of Iowa, not near any particular city, maybe there isn't as much growth. Um, I mean, articles abound though, saying that pretty much everybody's feeling a housing crunch. So to me, that says even rural places on their own scale are, are growing to some degree. So I think everybody's everybody's kind of seeing some sort of growth, but I assume everybody will eventually get back to their cities. You know, pe- people love the city that they were in before; they'll love it again at some point. Good, good thought. Good thought. Okay, but you, you now you're saying everybody. You mean is it going to be everybody? Ninety percent, eighty percent? Yeah, no. Oh, I, if you want me to put a number on it? I don't know if yeah, I can sure. actually do that truthfully, but I would expect you know of, let's say if. You know, 100,000 people moved out of cities on the West Coast. I would expect maybe 25 to 50% might return if they were not buying, perhaps. I don't know. Wow. Uh, uh-huh. That's a that's a bet I'm not hedging very well, apparently. But uh, I'll, I'll take that. Why not? Okay, great. What do you think, Bertrand? Uh, I think that brings up uh, a philosophical point, which I have been thinking about. And I think a lot of us have been. I think it naturally arises when there's a knee-jerk reaction to flee the cities. I think that brings up the question that, uh, Bert, you have and, and we've had brought up on this podcast and like Richard Florida has brought up. Richard Florida is, is, is one of dad's friends and uh, city guru kind of to also. And um, he's very bullish on cities. I think it brings up like what is the fundamental the timeless fundamental attraction of cities to humanity and will we always have cities will we always uh will they always be a thing will they always draw people in do we need that do we need cities as a human species and i so i think that there's probably a truth to that and that's why i asked at, the, at a couple months ago when we did one of our first uh, podcasts i asked are we just going to I think humanity, people are so weird how they go back to, I'm fascinated with how people, how quickly people forget bad things. It's probably a good thing. You can forget terrible things and you go back right to the way you were acting before. You might call that adaptation or something like that or something, but I always, I I always wanted, I always wondered like if we were just going to come out of this COVID thing and go back to our good and or bad habits as if nothing had happened. Um, mm-hmm. and so, and so I think Nick, what you were saying is, is there a fundamental attraction about cities? And I would say that, yes, there is, there is a fundamental, I mean, people love cities. I mean, Rome was a huge city. It was one or 2 million people in ancient times, which is crazy. Why would so many people, co- um, congregate and live in a, such a constrained, I mean, there's population density issues in ancient cities. 
If you actually look up the population density, it rivals some of the population density we have in our cities and that we're now calling a problem. And this is this is in BC times. So wow. humans humans like to congregate in cities. Humans like that bustle, that commerce, that sociality, that whatever it is. So I would tend to agree that I think people will go back to cities. Um, and that's why my fundamental question, my kind of thesis or thesis question in this whole thing is what will remain? Uh, what what lessons what lessons have we learned from COVID that will remain and will keep in practice, um, and we, and and to what and on the other hand, to what extent will we just go back to the way we've always always done as humans? Okay, well, uh, I'm speaking for everybody listening to the podcast. We don't want more questions; we want more answers. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, here's well, here's well, 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 one one good thing is I'll just say McDonald's just added a bunch of they they just totally changed their stuff, um, their benefits. I thought their menu, but never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> they totally changed their bet. So here's some stuff that might stick around. Um, their McDonald's totally changed their benefits and their wages and everything like that, um, which is good to some of the, our other points we were talking about. And the other thing is, I think one thing that I've seen a lot of articles about is a lot of people are just saying when, it time, when it's time to go back to work, they're quitting their jobs. They're quitting the jobs they had before. So there might be some awareness. I, one thing I do think will stick around is an awareness of work-life balance. Am I really happy being in the rat race? Just taking a look at the balance of what they're giving and how they're spending their days. It's given a sense of uh, existential. Okay. Uh, I've got, I've got one important thing that I want to ask you guys. You see people are going back to cities. Okay. What cities are we talking? People love being in cities. People love being what in New York. Do they love being in uh, Denver? Uh, how about Los Angeles? How about a small college town somewhere? That's that certainly has enough restaurants that you could certainly have enough of. I know here in Portland we have plenty of restaurants, more than I mean, their new ones opening. They can close before I can get around to eating at them, uh, and I, I've never even heard of them. And then I said, "Oh, it went out. What they went out of business? I didn't even know it was around. I would have gone to that." So. Um, yeah, there are cities and there are cities. I mean, there people are moving to Boise. People are moving to Bozeman, Montana. And we can say, okay, well, that's not exactly a rural area. That's a, Those are pretty decent-sized cities with a lot of amenities. Uh, maybe people are saying, I don't have to go and live outside of um, San Francisco and drive for an hour or two hours into work. I can just live down the street in a, in a, in a place like that. So there are cities, maybe I'm thinking maybe what's happening is people are saying, Hey, I don't have to live near a super mega city and pay 50%, 60% of my income for an apartment. I'm not even getting a house. I can go ahead and move to a smaller place like Boise, Coeur d'Alene, Spokane, um, well, Asheville, North Carolina, uh, Raleigh, people are looking at Raleigh now. Uh, Charlotte was the hot city for a while down south. Now it's Raleigh, uh, the suburbs of Atlanta. Chattanooga. Uh, places like, oh, pardon me? Chattanooga. Chattanooga, yeah. Yep. So people are looking at those alternatives. And 
you could say, oh, they're moving away from the city, New York, but they are moving to other cities as well and maybe having a better right. quality like of said, life, work yeah. life balance. And that speaks to the quality of life. And that's something that I do hope. And if I think the best places were about raising people's quality of life through in, information and people getting more informed. So if people can get a, the same or a better quality of life for cheaper or about the same price, then, and I hope that's something that we do take from this this whole thing is that maybe I can be just as happy or happier without. Yeah. And I would like to blow our own horn uh, that we have been sort of celebrating these places for a long time, but we thought Boise was really an interesting and up and coming place 10 years ago. We're in Bend, Oregon is another one that's out uh, in the sort of the almost in the Oregon, well, the central Oregon, it's become a sort of a mini boulder. Uh, which has a tremendous outdoor recreation and a great work-life balance. People are discovering places like that. And thanks to our recognition of them and, and um, uh, what, what we've identified, I think uh, Best Places will be a great resource for people hoping to discover those places ahead of time. If you listen to us about Boise, and Spokane, Walla Walla, places in the Northwest, you would have heard about places like that 10, 15 years ago, and you would have paid a lot less money for your house. Hard to believe that the median household income in Boise is now over $400,000. That's nuts. So yeah. maybe a correction is going to come. Um, but uh, yeah, it, don't, it don't, don't, don't wait for people to write articles about how great these places are, like the big things <laughs> like U.S. News and World Report and, you know, CNBC, all people that we've worked with, of course. But don't wait for them to write articles, articles about it, because by the, by the time those articles come out, then it's common knowledge. And we've been preaching that for probably three to five years at that point, honestly. So yeah. us first. But, Bert, yeah. you should probably wrap us up here with a, yeah, let's a do that roundtable of... Uh, one sentence to close it off, or if Nick, you want to say anything, but we should probably close it off. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead. So Nick, any thoughts on that? We didn't get around to, we're going to have a special climate podcast here. That's coming up very soon. Uh, you'll want to um, tune in for that one. And we're going to have Al back with us again. And we're going to talk about the effects of climate. Nick is also, besides a cartographer, he's a, a climatologist as well and uh, has a deep background in uh, weather and climate. Looking forward to his insights. So we've talked a lot about things that are happening, things of the future. Um, and I think we're trying to give you some insights uh, that we've seen and uh, give you some things to think about. But most of all, you know what? You are the expert where you live. <laughs> Nobody knows more about where you live than you do. We'd love to hear your comments. We'd love to have you share with us what you know, what's going on, what you see where you live, and share on best places with everyone else that's on there. We got 3 million people, over 100,000 a day that are coming to best places that would love to know what's happening in your neighborhood. So anyway, uh, thanks very much, everyone. And uh, looking forward to being with you uh, in the week or so to come and talk about climate and all these other topics. Again, oh, if you have other topics you'd like to see us talk about and specifically, uh, maybe some reviews of different cities, we can discuss them, what we know about them. Let us know what you'd like to see. So uh, please share with us and we'll make it happen. So this is Bert Sperling, Nick Arnold, Bertrand Sperling 
from Best Places. Thank us for thank you very much, and check us out on bestplaces.net.